Welcome to another episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. This is another episode in my Teaching From Home podcast series, a series dedicated to supporting teachers who are working from home amidst the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. The Teaching From Home podcast series is kindly supported by Tez Resources. Tez Resources have created a home learning collection full of hand-picked free resources for teachers to use with children who are learning at home or to share with parents. Please search online for Tez Home Learning to find the collection and see how Tez can help you. You can also find this collection through the Tez Coronavirus Support Hub at tez.com forward slash coronavirus. Now, my aim in this Teaching From Home series is that you will hear from a wide variety of teachers sharing a wide variety of experiences. There will be technology-focused episodes, just how does remote teaching work, but also episodes focused on the practicalities of coping with setting students' appropriate work whilst also having to look after your own children at home. Then there's issues of safeguarding, differentiation and teacher mindset that have also come up as this series have progressed. There'll be maths teachers, teachers of other subjects and, as we'll hear today, primary school focused episodes and in particular, early years. There'll also be teachers from the UK and overseas, hopefully something for everyone. I've no idea how long this series will go on for, but so long as people keep listening and hopefully finding it useful, I shall continue. So this time around, I spoke to Dr. Helen Williams. Helen is an expert in early years teaching. Now, when Helen first came on the podcast back in December 2018, she absolutely blew my mind describing lessons involving gold sprayed beans and asking me questions like, what is the number three? Now, whilst we have considered on this series how school closures might affect primary students and what we as teachers can do about it in my interview with John Hutchkinson, I wondered whether early years was a completely different ball game. And I couldn't think of anyone better than Helen to answer my questions. Now, as you would expect, this is a conversation packed full of golden nuggets that will be useful not only for teachers of early year students, but also their parents. Indeed, my little Isaac will be reaping the rewards of this conversation when he wakes up from his afternoon nap. Oh, and as a bonus, at the end of the show, Helen responds to the Paul Kirshner and Carl Hendrick episode when I asked Paul how a teacher knows whether something has moved from a child's working memory to their long-term memory. And I tell you what, a flipping fascinating conversation ensues. I really hope you enjoy this episode and find it useful. And as ever, please stay safe. Okay, so it gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Helen Williams. So, um, Helen, I wonder if you could start just by telling listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, yes, I am. Um, I am a semi-retired, independent um, primary school teacher educator, and I've been working with adults mainly for the last twenty odd years, uh, maybe a bit more than that now. Um, particularly on early maths education, that's my love, and that's what my research was in. So, yeah. 
that's that's is that, is that right is that, that, is, that is perfect <laughs> and again you've hit the nail on the head there of what of why I've, I've i wanted to get you back on the show helen because as as listeners will know from our our last conversation I, i'm clueless about many things but one of my big areas of cluelessness <laughs> is is when it comes to early years and very rarely have i learned so much over the course of a couple of hours as i did in our last conversation so with this whole problem of, of schools being closed and remote teaching and distance learning and whatever we want whatever label we want to put on it yeah. What, what it got me thinking about is is whether the challenge is, is any different for supporting our younger students throughout this as it is for our older students. So so let's start there, Helen. What, how, are the challenges the same or are they different? Well, I, 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 I've thought about that question and um, uh, I, I think many of them are act- is actually is the same. And, and, I, and I would like and I'm going to say what I think the challenges are for for younger students. I think the main difference is that the younger the child, the more important it is to have the, an interaction with a known adult. And I think that's got a lot to say about distance learning or, you know, online learning or, or, or teaching or whatever you want to call it. So I would think that, you know, if you are if, you, if there is material put out there for younger pupils now, and, and I'm going to work here with the international definition of, of, of early years as being birth to seven. OK, that is the international definition. We don't work with that in our country. Our early years foundation stage finishes at five. But internationally, it's recognised to seven. And so I think if we're putting material, if anybody's putting material out there for up to that age, we have to think about how to develop the interaction in in the home and in the school, not just with the screen. Um, and I think that that's probably tr- more true for younger children and for students with special educational needs and disabilities that, than it is maybe for older students. I'm not sure, but I think that may be a different challenge or... Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think you're right. Um, it surprises me, and I think we had this conversation last time, Helen, it amazes me that when I hear early years, I'm thinking kind of three and four-year-olds, something like that, but... It, that's that you think that's a better definition up to the age of seven is is that right yeah birth to seven is internationally accepted as early years that's why there are kindergartens before formal schooling in other countries um and that really is you know and i've been we i mean not just me loads of us have been fighting the battle to have that recognized here but that but and i think um there is a problem with us not recognising it like that because when I mean you've got a youngster now, you've got a very little child, but you will see as they grow that 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 the, the bit between five and seven they don't automatically become schoolified. Yes, it doesn't work like that. Um, and I think that we have to think about, especially if you're, you're we're thinking now about. I mean, the other thing I I wanted to say was that it, it is this this about learning at home or teaching from home that difference and homeschooling oh my goodness I hate that term <laughs> home learning I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that but homeschooling I, I think we shouldn't be trying to replicate school at home and turning our homes into schools I would like you know we can't do that and um in preparing to talk to you about this I found it difficult to to to, to separate the sort of the school bit and the family bit. So a lot of what I say, I think, is going to be mixed up. I hope that's all right, because I think that a lot of people that are accessing the material that's being put out there at the moment um, for early years is can be used in both the home and the school. And so I think that quite a lot of what I say will apply to both of those situations. And if if that's not clear when I'm answering you, then please, please 
get back at me, get back at me about it. Well, this, this is fascinating just on that point, Helen, because it seems logical from, from my perspective as, as kind of a secondary school teacher to think, OK, schools have been closed. So let's try and replicate what goes on in schools as close as we can in the home. And whenever I speak to teachers um, who are also parents of, of older students, you know, 12 year olds, 13 year olds, a lot of what they talk about, how they structure their child's day is like a school day so that the kids yeah. will be set work, whether it's on screen or the school sent worksheets home or whatever it is, and that the kids will get as close to a structure of a school day as possible so maybe doing you know an hour of maths an hour of english then have a break to watch netflix and then back on and so on and so <laughs> forth to try and keep that structure and um, so so why is it that that wouldn't be seen as a good idea in in your opinion for for early year students why, why is there this distinction between kind of learning from as as you would in school versus learning from home if that makes sense um, right. So um, that's quite a that's a huge question. So I'd, I'm, I'm going to try and tackle it in se separate parts. Um, I mean, the, the, can I just say, first of all, that before we talk about the sort of education, there's the, the whole thing about a child feeling safe and secure as well as confident. And that, you know, when we set when we and I think this is answering your question, but it, there's something else going on underneath here is that when we set this stuff up, we have we, we have to bear in mind you know, a lot of these people have been cooped up. I mean, literally cooped up in a very small space for, uh, you know, uh, too long. The, you know, the emotional and the psychological impact of the talk of death and dying in the house, even if you're trying not to face your child with the news every night, that's those sorts of conversations have an impact on children. And they not to help them process that is 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 uh, not you know you have to help them process what they're hearing we don't know the family situation i might if i'm a teacher know a little bit about it i don't know if there's some illness is the parent a critical worker is there any outdoor space you know is the child vulnerable all of those things ha i have to think about first and um and i think that where i'm going with this is no one size fits all and mm. i i was really interested to hear joe morgan's interview with you because i think she she I found myself nodding quite a lot with what she said. Some families want some structure or and that's fine. And some families don't. And that's also fine. And everybody has to find a way through this themselves. But it is perfectly possible to have learning opportunities for those aged children that don't replicate a formal school day. It is perfectly possible to make that feel much more comfortable for the parents at home. Use it doing using the Lego or the jigsaws in a more in a way they might feel more confident rather than then trying to teach their child something um, which they might not feel so confident in. Um, do you want to come back at me first? <laughs> Sorry, <I don't laughs> a bit further. Um, well, yeah, we just on just I'm, I'm conscious of, of not interrupting, but just just on on, on that point, um, I, I assume the opposite is also true though that that there will be some parents. And I, and I can only relate to this a little bit. My, my little boy's very, very young. He's only fourteen months. But again, I'm I'm crying out for a bit of guidance as to as to as to what what to do with him. And if whether it's again, he's he's not school age. But if if I would have loved his nursery to say, right, this is a really good thing to do, or this this is yeah. what we do. This yeah. is what we do. So yeah. the 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 other side's yeah. also true, right? There, there are yeah, some yeah, parents yeah. out there who who would love that kind of ideas of the structure, if that makes sense. Uh, yes, I think I think what I'm saying. There's nothing. I, I would 
I would too have value that and that I can point you into the direction of two places which would be I one place in particular would be ideal for your 14 month old so for you to have a look at as a parent and there are and I think guidance is really helpful but what what I think parents don't need to feel is that they've got to get online at a certain time and do this lesson yes with this and I think Joe said the same thing. I mean, that, that puts a, families under a lot of pressure. If you if you feel, you know, you've probably got more than you've got more four children. And they've all got to get online at different times. So putting aside the thing that they might not be able to get online um, at all. But it's this business about um, helping families and schools with some learning that is set up slightly differently. Because even when the, those schools schools that are open and many 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 are have 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 a bunch of children that are not in the from the same class <laughs> you know you've got the whole age range from uh the whole of the primary age range maybe 10 of them together yes. um you know what do we do with those children and so i think that guidance and and tasks that are low threshold if you like that allow access and hook and hook in children of all ages but have the potential to be um to be extended for those children that show that are, that are older or show more interest. Those are ideal in that situation. And, and parents often feel more comfortable with those because they don't feel right. I've got to have all this information at my fingertips and teach these children. And I'm not a teacher. And so I think it's about setting up um, situations that help develop learning as opposed to schooling, schooling that child. Is that is that clear? Uh, clear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, again, as uh, I, when we first spoke, Helen, uh, on that first interview, I, I, you could tell that, like, when you were describing what what some of those early years lessons were like, when you were you were sat down on a rug with the kids around you, and they had be, be, beans that were coloured in gold, and then some kids were doing something else somewhere else. I, I was incredibly nervous because that is just that that kind of that <laughs> lack of structure in my lesson. I was thinking, oh my god, I, I couldn't cope with this. But it's it's, it's a similar thing right well that i that i'm picking up that you're saying here that such a kind of formal thing and it, again to, to early years practitioners this will be the most obvious thing that anyone's ever said in their life but such a formal structure um to say right we're going to do maths for an hour we're going to do english for an hour whatever it, it, it's it's simply not going to work is it not for, for for the majority of students of, of that age in in this environment well it, it, i mean I, i'm i'm putting my head on the block by saying no it isn't i think it probably is i mean i think there are ways of of, of, of getting young children to do things in a classroom, which I use all the time as a teacher, um, which is kind of like, we're going to come and do this now for an hour. I'm, I'm saying that, um, you know, we're going to come play this game here. We're going to come do this counting or all come over here. We're going to do this, that we can do that. I don't think parents need to be families shouldn't, not just parents, is it? Families shouldn't feel under pressure to do that. I mean, in the end, I think there's a, there's a word structure which I want to come back to, but something occurred to me this morning. I saw somebody tweet. They've only we've only missed I think is 11 days of school so far, and everybody's talking about people falling behind. <laughs> 11 days. I mean, uh, you know, we have to get things in perspective. I think a bit here. And um, when you say structure, you see, my structure is about the structure of my time with those children. It's it, it, and that in a way is a little bit like the swans. Where, you know, that's all looking, you know, there's an enormous amount of paddling beneath to get that smooth, it doesn't, you know, surface for me to swim through. And the structure 
is mine. I am well aware of where I want to take those children and where they're coming from. That's where the structure is rather than we're going to do this at this time and then do this at another time. Um, but I think maybe we're off the point a little bit. <laughs> I, 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 suppose the, the, I suppose so maybe the challenge for younger children is uh, I, the first thing I want to say is if you really want to, to have a timetable, then there, there, there isn't anything wrong with that. But don't feel you've got to. You know, you don't feel you've got to. It might be that things take quite a long time. It's a lovely opportunity for young children of four or five to get really stuck into something. And it's for extended period to, to develop their concentration and their imagination. They've got an opportunity to do that. And you shouldn't sort of say, oh, my gosh, he's been on the Lego now for 40 minutes. I really, we really <laughs> ought to read a book. You know, there's no need to, to feel under that pressure to do that. Um, I'll tell you what, what, what interests me, Helen. So you're absolutely right. Um, we should never lose perspective of this, that we're, we're just, so we're recording this on a, well, I forget what day of the week we're on now, a Tuesday, aren't we? Yeah, on I know. A, <laughs> Tuesday, and schools have been closed for, we're entering in the, the third, essentially kind of the third week of, of school closures here. And it's been particularly um, interesting over the last few days, really, where lots of things have sprung up. So you've got BBC um, have launched their um, kind of school closures offering. You've got Oak Academy have launched their online lessons. I interviewed John Hutchkinson um, from Reach Academy, and he spoke about how um, he was his school was sharing videos that they're recording from. Um, I think it was year one through to through to year eleven daily videos that that, that students could access. Um, again, feel free um, not to either to either answer this more generally as opposed to to, to going specific or however you want to take it. But um, is 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 that a good idea? That from what you've seen of these offerings for for, for the younger students is is that good or is it? Um, can it can it be can it be used in a, in a way that's effective? Well, what's your take on on those offerings? Um, the, the, the two that I would say are particularly valuable for early years are EYFS Home, um, which has built been built up during this period, and they have uh, that, and that would stretch. You could use those some of those things with a with a certainly a two year old up, and and some of those things, some of those ideas could be and tasks could be easily done with seven, eight, nine year olds. And what are they, Helen? Are they, are, is it is it videos or is it is it more activity uh, um, based? Yeah, yes, it's it's a video of it's usually a video. I'm going to just get it up online. There's usually a video of an adult talking to talking to the screen and saying, "Hey, today's um today's um uh, uh theme is uh socks. So here's a poem about socks." We're going to, you know, we're all going to learn this. And then and then there's, an, you know, there's a break and then somebody says, well, look, let's all collect these socks and we'll sort them into pairs or, you know, there's sort of separate tasks based around a theme. And as an adult presents the task, it, it, I think ideally it would be nice if there was an adult with the child on the receiving end at some point. But a child could watch that because they are being spoken to uh, appropriately and they haven't got to do any reading. They just watch it. It's like a bit like watching any child's television really and it gives them something to do it also it also uses very um straightforward things you've got in the house bits of paper pencil uh you know that sort of thing you know they go they have to go around and make a collection or they do a drawing and there an eyfs home has got um it's divided up into sort of slots so there's a 9 30 slot 10 30 slot 
and you don't have to watch them during that slot, but they're broken up so that they sort of um, I'm trying I'm trying to avoid the word bite size. <laughs> They've done well mean, getting. They've done well getting that name, haven't they? <laughs> it's in little small sort of sections, so you can pick and choose what you look at, so you could watch a bit of it and not watch another bit of it. Um, I mean Ruth Swales, who's uh, uh you know, I'm I'm friendly with, and she's um. Uh, she's big on Twitter. She's she's done a lot of the presentation on there, and it's a lovely resource for schools. Um, schools have found it helpful as well as families. You know, it's being used in both of those settings. So that's a really good one. And, and the other, really... did, sorry, Helen. Sorry. Not, so did that not yeah. exist? Did that not exist before the no. school closures? No. Wow. No, no, no. no. they've got that up and running straight away, and they did it. I mean, I've done a couple of videos for them, and um, it was literally, "Can you do something this afternoon?" On this is, you know. <laughs> uh try and and it's um it, it it's i mean it's 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 lovely it's lovely and that what's lovely about it is that you can you can dip in and out of it and and it's very home friendly um so that is what that's really i would go there first if i had if i had if i was a, a teacher in school with very young children that i'm not used to working with because that's happening isn't it we're yes. all on rotor uh i would go and have a look at that and I might be able to, oh, I might be able to do that. You know, oh, God, so I could do that. You know, I think there's some stuff there we could pick up. And if I was a family, I would have a look at that. That's uh, it. And, about... it's, and it's the kind of thing, I'm just thinking from from the family perspective, you'd, you'd sit down and watch with the child, is it? And then yes, kind of have, have, have a conversation with them yes. as it's going on. It says things like, because it doesn't make the assumption, because, I mean, I think the thing is not to make assumptions about actually what, it's happening the other side the other side of that screen who knows if that child's watching it on their own or not we don't know that so the child can go this is go and ask your grown-up if you can borrow a box to put something in you know they it yes. says things so so it's um so it, it, it so it's and it's straightforward like that so the child could watch it but of course and i think the and they've been set up so that you get that communication and that interaction which is what i think i mentioned I think I mentioned at the beginning about the interaction with that known adult. Yes. You know, as well as that's what builds the learning. And you, you know, it's not really, you're not going to get that level of thinking and um, with a, without a known adult, not with that age group, you're not. You're going to get much, much better learning if the adult is a known adult. Think of your own son and how he reacts to people he knows and to people that are unfamiliar already at 14 months. Yes. There's a massive gap. So that's why I think it, it is different. I'm convincing myself it is different. Um, the challenge is different, I think. And yeah. this, this is, I mean, I'll ask you lots of daft questions throughout this conversation, Alan, but here, here comes another one. Is it the kind of thing where, and again, I can only relate it to, to my own kind of narrow um, area of um, experience, but is it the kind of thing where throughout this video, the child would be kind of set a challenge and they'd kind of go off and do it and then the kind of answer would be revealed? Like, how does how does it work? How does, for want of a better phrase, I mean, this is, this is definitely not the right phrase to use, but how's the kind of assessment for learning side of things work throughout? this or is that just just not not the kind of have i missed the point it's, completely no 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 you're not missing the point for the first, first start, none of your questions are daft questions craig honestly they make me think really hard so that's the first thing second thing is that's not a daft question but this is eyfs home so it's mainly based at home learning mm. so that it isn't that that assessment is not built in that into it but it would but any teacher early years teacher worth their salt would be able to see where the child, you know, would be, would be looking out for, they'd be very clear about what they were looking out for. It's very clear 
what those activities are and what they're what they're um what they're aimed at so that i'm just looking at one now so what was today's activity they put up i think it uh, movement and music it's a movement and music takeover day so you've got a, a something to move you've got to use chalk or chalk to mark out some hopscotch outside <laughs> and play hopscotch and it, actually it says underneath skills number ordering mathematical development problem solving psed coordination so it does give you some things to look out for if you've got no idea do you see what i'm saying i do then I you've do. got something called fortune teller you've got disco day and they're all like short things all based around music and movement so that I was see. today I literally see. just looked at it um i, th- I think i think what, what i'm what i'm trying to get at and i i hope i, I hope i articulate that this right is if if i i'm always fascinated by the contrast between let's say like a 16 year old and a, a four-year-old or a three-year-old and i know this is something we're going to get onto later on if we talk about kind of cognitive architecture and so on but like if you imagine a um a 16 year old who's who's doing gcse maths or something like that he's been set a a video to watch um, by his teacher and on that video up um up pops some questions and the child pauses the video goes ahead and does the questions and then resumes the video and can kind of mark to see whether they've got them right or wrong and the child's kind of got that level of of maturity in theory and also kind of that that expertise to be able to know whether they've they've got it right or wrong but i'm I'm picturing for kind of three-year-olds and four-year-olds that the role of of kind of again i'm going to use assessing but or, or kind of of knowing whether they're doing things right or wrong or whether they're you know pursuing an, an area of interest and so on and so forth falls more on the parent or that known adult than it does the child themselves is so i'm just thinking do parents find this stuff easy to to get a sense of whether their child's doing the right thing, the wrong thing, a useful thing, a not useful thing, and so on. Does that make any sense at all, Helen? I'm just trying yeah, to... Yeah, no, 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 that's a good question. Uh, funnily enough, I, 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 I um, tweeted a video by Richard Gerver earlier today, and he was 20 years a primary teacher, and he's now uh, writes books and speaks and stuff. And he says on this video, trust your children, um, tr- trust that they uh, encourage them to uh, investigate, question, and explore. Now, I think that kind of answers your question. So it, it's really about some of the tasks have got an end point. So there's one of the tasks, for example, on that particular site where the children make a small book in order to do a plan of their house in or that sort of thing. And um, the, if the book doesn't open, obviously <laughs> they've made it correctly. <laughs> so the child is kind of like just wants to make it work. I mean, some of those things, they want to make it work. So yes. it's a bit like a Lego model. It's a bit like your son putting things in the shape sorter. Yes. You know, there they go. They pick up the cylinder one first, don't they? Because they know they can get that one in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the triangular prism, no, that is the last one. They'll pick. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Be, because, because oh, I've watched a lot of children do Because that's <laughs> the hardest one to put in. So it's like, they, but they want to do it. So it's like some of the tasks are set up to be like that, if you like. And, and, and any um, adults and parents will recognize about what's right and wrong about it, if you like. But it's not about saying that's wrong, really. It's about getting them to explore it to question it, to, to, to communicate it with you, whether they're looking at you and smiling if they're too young to speak or whether they're, they're, they're telling you, oh, I, don't wanna, I wanna do that again, that's a great game. You know, I wanna do that jigsaw again. You know, that business of enjoying it. I mean, if this, something that occurred to me when I, I mean, I've looked at some of the material online and um, 
we want these five, six, seven-year-olds to want to come back to school, don't we? I mean, we don't want to switch them off while they're at home now. Um, we want to keep them open learners. And, lo- and some of the stuff that's out there, I think, will switch them off. They might be fine the first time they sit down and do it. But every day for an hour at six, I don't think so. That's that's interesting. That, and again, um, without mentioning anything in, in particular, what what's the kind of general thing that you think would 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 turn kids off? No, I'd rather turn that round and say you. I think look at the stuff and Baromi, Baromi HQ. They're another one right now. Look at their stuff. Now they've been going. They support nurseries, so their their material. If you look at their website, could be used at home, but is aimed in nurseries and uh, PVIs, private voluntary preschools. And um, their their strap line is empowering families to connect, talk and play together at home where it matters most. And we I think in early years and, you know, if we look at the international as you know birth to seven and the kindergarten um, kindergarten that we've got, you know, in other countries that part when we educate those children, it's the family we're educating as much as the child. It's mm. it's Absolutely has to be joined. And as soon as your your lad goes out into preschool care of any sort, you will want that connection and that and that uh, joint collaborative effort with those other adults that your child is coming into contact with. And so that is that business of looking for. I would be looking for material that empowered the families to do exactly that. Talk and play together at home and help the child. Um, explore and question and investigate it you know that's what's important to keep those those brains really you know wanting to to get out there and find out things and then they'll take on tough challenges won't they you know they're prepared to then i could say to him hey i've got this this is look at this this is tough do you reckon you, do you reckon you can do it um, and we'll we'll put links to those two resources in the show notes on but do you want to just say them one more time just say in case listeners yes want to make i will yeah now. It's uh, EYFS Home, and the other one is Boromi HQ, B-O-R-O-M-I-H-Q. <clears throat> Those are the two that I think are particularly strong at the moment. Fantastic. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm still trying to get over the fact that you knew that my little Isaac puts that cylinder in straight away but leaves the triangular <laughs> prism till the end. That's amazing. Um, I've got spies everywhere. <laughs> um, now, throughout this Teaching from Home series, one of the big debates, well, kind of divisions is the wrong word, but, but one, of, one of the differences between teachers has been um, how they've approached kind of live teaching versus kind of asynchronous setting of, of work, whether it be watch this video at any, any stage or do this worksheet at any stage and um, do you think there's any role for kind of live teaching using technology uh, with with younger students Helen? I mean I, I'm with I mean Joe Morgan answered this and I am with her on this I would not be using live television with my young child just that, that, that what no I wouldn't and I think her her I mean I, I I know people do and I can see a place for it with I'm now imagining my my 25 year olds when they were about 16 there might have been something there that that you know that might have been useful but no I don't I don't think it is necessary I think it's the business about I suppose the only way it would work she said completely contradicting herself is <laughs> if, it was, if I was the child's teacher and the child is at home 
and I am talking to the child like that. You know, school, just a, into school, just within that school or within that classroom. I think that's the only way it would work. And have you, have you heard of any of that that going on? Again, no, I, you, I think no, I no, I haven't. And I think people are being very wary of it for all the right reasons. I mean, I think you'd have to have a very secure. You'd have the, the network would have to be secure, wouldn't it? I mean, we've all there've been horror stories about some of the Zoom meetings. Yes. I, I just think that that it's it's maybe something which, and also <laughs> there's a bit about do I want my child's teacher sitting in my kitchen <laughs> you know i don't know what's going to kick off in there do i <laughs> well, you know there's something about it i mean i used to do craig i used to do i mean you will experience this when your child starts starts nursery i used to do homeschool visits when i was had my own class and you and those can be you have to be very sensitive doing those yes um and uh can you can you imagine now i'm coming to you now i'm going to come around i'm doing a homeschool visit before before isaac starts school i mean <laughs> you know it, it is no matter how confident you are as a person it, it it is it is that stressful and it's very very stressful for some families some i'm so part of me is thinking this is a bit like that you know yes. not so I'm I no I don't know of any school that I don't know of any school that's using that. And if I was a school using, I'd probably keep it very quiet. <laughs> what do about, it in a very small way. <laughs> what about kind of a middle ground, which is so, so let's say we've kind of got two extremes here. We've got the kind of live lesson going on where you've got to log on at a certain time and so on. And then at the other extreme, we've got kind of a video that features somebody who the child doesn't know, whether it's someone from from the two resources that you mentioned. Is there a place, do you think, um, for early years, uh, for a middle ground where the child's teacher records, whether it's a message or a lesson or introduces an activity, and the child can then access that video at any stage that they want. So they don't have to be online at a certain time. And the reason, the only reason I'm saying this is your earlier point about the, that importance of a known adult. Well, well, here's the child's yeah. teacher they can see. So they've got that trust they've got that engagement and so on is there a role for that and have you heard of any of that going on yeah i think there's quite a lot of that going on and i think that's quite, i think that's that's probably the best use of it isn't it you know here's here it is i mean i think there's there is otherwise there's a danger of schools um uh and i i'd include myself in that and saying to people oh look there's stacks of material there's this website and there's yes. this and there's this and there's this and where do i start with that you know, I mean, that's just the one child, you know, in, in, in reception. And I've got another one in year four and another one. You know, what, what am I supposed to do with that as a parent uh, and still work and cook and everything? Um, so I think that there is absolutely a place for 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 for, uh, for, for I don't want to put anything really on schools, but for, for those of us that can to put out little videos like that that say, here's, you know, here you go. And that's really all that, that, that those two sites do, in a way. Here you go. Here's something you can try. Uh, and you know that behind those some things, there is, a, they, I mean, there, there is, you trust that they've been made in good, in good faith. You know, that there's, they're not going to, the child's not going to chop their fingers off. <laughs> Although, you know, just like if I was accessing something on uh, science for my 17 year old, I want to just to be able to trust that the material is fairly that aligns with the curriculum they're supposed to be accessing and that it's solid in terms of its, you know, that, that, it's, that it's correct. There's no, there's nothing incorrect there. You know, I'd, I want to be able to trust that, don't I? Yes. Um, 
Have you heard, Helen, and you may have already answered this, but is there any other examples, whether it's good practice or good ideas that you've heard from from schools or individual teachers during school closures that you think is worth sharing? There was a night, there was a, I've seen some stuff. um, There was a, the Lego professor of play at Cambridge University. Did you know there there was that job? No, I did. I saw that in the Guardian this morning. Yes. What a title that is. I know. But I think, you see, I think that perhaps is underrated. And there's, there's been some nice stuff done, um, where, where, with, with Lego. So I think, I think that at the moment, I mean, it's quite early days, isn't it? There's been like a flurry of schooly stuff and maybe I would like to see and I don't know that I have seen much of it. But then you see, I don't know, maybe I just haven't seen it to to actually take the stuff that we know we've got at home. Like most people have some Lego or um, people can access a bowl of water. What you know, what 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 can we do with that? I mean, research shows, for example, that that um, jigsaws doing jigsaws really really helps mathematical achievement that's some recent research yeah yeah jigsaws are really big you're going to ask me what the name of the researcher is and i oh no you can you can send send it on later no i won't put you on the spot but it's a lovely piece of research and it's jigsaws with an adult i think it's siegler actually i think it's siegler but i'll I'll do that in the I'll, i'll send it with the rest of the stuff um yeah, jigsaw, doing a jigsaw with an adult and like talking about it. Oh, look, here's the straight edge size. And this bit's, oh, that bit was too, turn that over and see if that fits. You know, that sort of conversation really helps their spatial awareness and that development. And that in turn, you know, really affects their mathematical achievements. Lovely. So, I mean, things like things like that, doing jigsaws, if we could just perhaps focus on some of those things where parents, families might well feel more comfortable with that. That's, that's a really- it's a, really, it's a really smart idea, Helen, that, again, because that, that, that is something that there seems to be lacking, just the using what you've got in the home. But yeah. here's, here's ways to use that. Because, again, as a speaking as, as a clueless parent, I, I wouldn't have a clue what to do with a bowl of water to, to, to do something <laughs> with a stimulator with Isaac. You know, but if there was some guidance on that, that would, yeah. be, that would be amazing. That, that's brilliant. You just need some spoons. You need some spoons and some lots of containers. I'll just have to keep getting you on the phone, Helen. This is, this is, this is the problem. I don't charge much, Craig. Um, but it's the things like board games. I mean, very underrated. That's a, such a fantastic thing is to get a board game out and play it. And, um, I mean, my, 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 I remember my two, uh, my, the, I've got twins and, um, when they were, uh, pre-verbals and they spoke quite late actually, um, so they were about two-ish. And I remember them going and getting the snakes and ladders board out of the cupboard where a lot of the stuff was piled in. And they got the board out and I watched them and they got the dice and they got the counter at each. And they shook the dice and they just went plonk, 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 plonk with their counter all over the board like this. And they stopped. And then they looked at the other one and the other one shook his dice. So they and they did that again and just left it. And they weren't counting the spots that they weren't recognizing the number. They weren't moving the correct number of spaces. But these children were two and they they picked up the fact that a you've got to take a turn that involves rolling a dice. The dice makes you do something and then it's somebody else's turn. Amazing. Amazing to watch that those two years, and then they pack it. Then they then they were like, oh, right, that's that done, and they went and did something else. But it was those those. Uh, the, I mean, the research into board games is 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 really lovely about uh, about how you develop a child's ability to count on 
by using the squares and and instead of saying um so say you roll a, you landed on 24 and you roll a three instead of going one two three you go 25 26 27 ah, that's yes. where you help that's so fascinating the, and, yeah and I, i've i've seen from from watching you on uh well, following you on twitter that um you, you're you're a big advocate of dice aren't you just generally as being a really <laughs> yeah. useful thing to have around around the home um again is, is that that for the mathematical side do they have any other any other uses dice well, I think I think um, obviously you've got there, you've got the dots in iconic represent, you know, iconic representations of numbers of dots. So they're instantly recognizable. And uh, so that's that's I mean, did we talk about subitizing last time? I mean, oh, that- you, you blew my mind, Helen, because I'll tell you what you were talking about last time that I've still not got over. You're asking me what is the number three? And I, I still still can't answer that because, I, again, <laughs> you were that. counting it. We were seeing it on a bus going past. Oh. My, my, my head was frazzled. So don't be going down that road again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, just, it's, it's, it's all it is. It, it, it comes from the Latin of sort of inst- instantly um, recognize, I think. Oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't started that. Um, <laughs> you, it's basically you see you. You, you, it can instantly recognise a small number. So if I if I put three counters out, you'll go three. You don't need to count three, yes. and we don't need to ask those children to count those three. They if they say three, you go yeah three, great. You recognise that. You didn't need to count them because that subitizing skill we really need to develop that, and a lot of calculation is built on that later down the line. So um, dice give you that subitizing ability. Now you can only really subitize up to up to four without arranging them iconically in some way. So if you think of five, if you had five counters in a row, you, you, you'd have trouble yes. recognising that. But if you arrange them as, you know, dot, 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 one in the middle, you'd say five. And that's why dice are really useful um, to develop that. And, and also the fact that it's playful. And I'm, I'm, really, I'm really big on making maths a playful thing that children want to engage in. There's so it's a playful. Come on, let's play a dice. You know, we, can, we can play a game with this, you know. Let's roll the dice and see how many, you know, that tell you how many to collect. First one to ten wins. Yes. It's very playful. It's a lovely, playful environment. Um, it's low stress, I think, you know, and they learn to lose. <laughs> and that's yes. important. <laughs> well, my wife could do with learning that, actually. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going there, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any, and again, you may have answered this with, with the two excellent websites you've already um, suggested, Helen, but are there any other of your personal favourite, whether it's resources, ideas, activities, whatever it is, that um, either parents of, of um, early years children or teachers of, of early years students um, should be using or you think will be good ideas to be using during school? closures yeah okay so i did i haven't said this and i need to say this first so i think the the other important thing to remember for our early years foundation stage which only takes our children up to five before they start the national curriculum uh and i'm I'm sorry i'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here so so once so some of the sites that are online have included reception in the national curriculum that not part of the national curriculum they have their own curriculum which is the early years foundation stage so if i was a teacher looking at those sites i would be looking to make sure it covered the early years foundation stage curriculum and that curriculum has three prime areas and those areas are prime areas because they're the most important basis on which everything else is built so when i say what these three are craig you think of isaac okay okay personal social emotional that's one of them okay physical development and the third one is communication and language now, on, on every on, on everything is built on those three prime areas. So, 
when I was when I would be looking at material, it's quite easy to say, "Well, gosh, we've got to do some, we've got to do some reading, we've got to do some writing, we've got to do some maths." Those are the three prime areas which we need to make sure we keep strong for our youngest children, because if they haven't got those, the personal, social, emotional development isn't secure or developing well. Their physical development isn't developing well. Their communication language that isn't that's that's so lovely, isn't it? When they start communicating, even when they can't speak. Yes. So those three are prime. That's the first thing. And then we've got four specific areas which are which are laid on top of these, if you like, or underneath. I don't know which way around that goes. But and the specific areas are literacy, mathematics, understanding the world and expressive arts and design, which are more recognisable as curriculum areas. Mm. So so that's that's. So if I'm saying when I'm going to give you a recommendation now, I'm going to be talking from the maths point of view, which is only one specific area. Yes. so that I just wanted to get that in perspective, right? So, uh, but the but the but the maths, I I would always say go and look at enrich early years section. If I'm a teacher or an interested parent, the enrich early years section has got tasks on there which are very low threshold, high ceiling, easy to get going on them. Don't take their school their school tasks. So you might not have the resources for some of them, but some of them you will have because they involve water and spoons. <laughs> Um, and uh, but those are lovely. And if you want any background, there's some lovely articles on there. Not long ones, often written by Sue Gifford uh, and her and, and colleagues about the background to some of the thinking in terms of the early years foundation stage, mathematics specific area. So that's a lo- that's that's well worth a look. And if you really wanted to go very deep, then you can start looking at Ericsson and dream early years those are the american research sites which you've got so much stuff on there i wouldn't even i, I even i haven't been through it all and i, I am, i'm a bit of a nerd on that but I, you know they and they, very annoyingly they keep putting more stuff up <laughs> so those would be my that i don't know if i answered your question but those are my go-tos every fantastic, time fantastic and again if you could send me uh, links to them just to remind yeah. me i'll put them all in the show notes helen that'd be that'd be brilliant yeah i'm making a note of all of those yeah fantastic um well just just a, a few reflections just on this helen i like to ask guests this at the end um this is obviously a very kind of trying time for for everybody for teachers for parents for families for for kids do you think there's anything positive in terms of teaching practice that will come out of um, school closures yes <laughs> oh, flip it out. Well, you've surprised. See, you're one of the few guests who've said that. Yeah, go on. T- tell me what. Well, I, I, I was going to start with. I wanted to remind us of the quote from Leonard Cohen's song, which is, "There's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in." Lovely. So, um, I would like to think that as a result of this, we focus in the early years, particularly, and I'm now I'm talking up to seven again. On, on the child as opposed to the curriculum, on the children as opposed to the curriculum. I'd like to see SATs, Key Stage 1 SATs go. I'd like to see Baseline go. And as focus on, on assessing and developing those children without the pressure of those of those formalised tests. If those go, it's been a really positive step forward, I think, for our for our early primary and early years education that would be brilliant if that went and do you get a sense yeah you'll know this far more than me do you get a sense of that that's a something that could happen yeah. is there a movement for that yeah yes i think it's growing i think the thought the thought even uh, i think s- some of us felt it was almost the case was lost in terms of the baseline testing which is that test that every four or five year old has to sit within the first six weeks of arriving at formal school 
one-to-one, two 20-minute tests with the teacher, that's that that material, that test that they have to sit is then black boxed until the children are in year six. It's not an assessment. It is it is an accountability accountability process <coughs> that um, the government's put in place to make schools accountable for progress between uh, reception and year six. It's not for, for even people that thought, well, OK, we've lost. We're going to have to do that. They're now thinking what we're going to we're going to do this to children that have had um no preschool experience for weeks and weeks that, that you know those children that need to settle into those that haven't mixed with children all that time we're going to do that you know it, and there's a huge I mean I just ping it went my computer as we started recording and that was Chris Dyson um, who's on Twitter as you know very well-known head teacher um, saying he's not doing baseline and there's a whole thing called um there's a whole hashtag, hashtag post it back. And I think it will change. I think those things could change. I think it's giving us hopefully the space to think about what we really want for these children. Um, and a th- and these reception children, you know, these reception children that are already in there or aren't. <laughs> um, they've lost a third of their reception experience, possibly, by the time yes. we if we go back in, in September. You know, so we can't just start them in year one with not and not think that is going to matter you know those the 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 the, um, characteristics of their reception education have to be spread and extended into year one and year two we have to rethink those three years reception year one year two as more of a continuum of development i think we have to and and yes there is a, a lot there are a lot of people beginning to think like that and that i think is is good is really good or could be (laughs) That's fantastic. As I say, we've had we've had a few kind of positive responses to that, so that's lovely. That Helen. Um, I wonder, kind of, just to just to bring this this conversation, um, this part of the conversation to an end. Um, you've already you've dropped loads, as I knew you would, loads of kind of nuggets of advice throughout this. But I wonder, just two final questions. Do you have any kind of general advice for uh, for first off teachers of younger students listening to this during school closures? What would be the general thing that that teachers should be looking to do? Do you think? Oh, I think I'm in danger of um, repeating myself. I suppose it's just slow up, slow, slow up, take a breath. Um, I mean, some of the teachers, school that I was last working in before I retired, I'm on a WhatsApp group with those teachers and they've been messaging me. And some of them said it's been so lovely just to have the space to just chat to these children and just a bit more time to do that. Um, how so, are they? Yeah. Ch- how are they chatting, Helen? Do you, no, I meant, it... I meant, I meant the ones. Sorry, when they're on their, when they're in school with them. Oh, I see. Got it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's that's it, that's what they've enjoyed. So, I mean, yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a good question because it actually puts that children at a terrific advantage, <laughs> yes. doesn't it? And that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other area. But I, um, I think just just on that, Helen, when you say kind of um, slow it down, is it fair to say that? In terms of kind of the, the curriculum, the early years curriculum, or whatever whatever um, year the uh, whatever year that the kids are at, is it fair to say that teachers shouldn't be thinking that they're going to get through as much content as they would have done if they were in school? And it's a good good kind of mindset to get into is to kind of not throw that out the window, but just not feel under pressure that you're yeah. going to get this done this week, yes. this done this week, and so yeah, on. Yeah, yes, definitely. And I think that business of I think I said before, we want these children to want to return to school. Yes. So we have to find a way of making it so they're, 
they're, they're really desperate to come back to school. So that so that would be at the back of my mind. Is this you know? And I and I think I don't know. I might. I mean, I've mentioned it. I don't know if I mentioned it last time. This whole business of teacher lust. You know, I think we all as teachers have that business of oh, we've got to get through this. Going oh, and then we can do that, and oh, and then we can do that. You know, just it's just that matter of letting that go really and thinking now at the moment we need to take some time here. <clears throat> and we need to make sure that these children are safe, secure, confident, communicating, um, setting all those um, those key stones, if you like, in place, so that when they, so that we can then we can push forward academically, if you like, and cognitively when they do come back. I mean, that's I think in a way that reflects the difference between our curriculum from for five to seven year olds and the curriculum for um the curriculum for i'm sorry i've just noticed my battery's really slow can you just give me two <laughs> seconds <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know why i've got it plugged in anyway um that that is the difference between our our curriculum for five to sevens and the curriculum in the kindergarten where the focus is more on Setting in 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 place those secure foundations so that so that cognitively and intellectually those steps are made very quickly from seven years upwards. And I don't think we have that. I think we 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 stress far too much between five and seven the sort of formal, if you like, learning, the, the learning to read, and not and not relaxing enough um, to. To, to put the basis in in place, the bases in place, so that those things then happen quite quickly after that. I'm just on that, Helen, and a bit of a bonus question before before I ask you about the parents. And one of the big fears from teachers that I, I've been speaking to, and it's a really obvious one, is that the kind of inequalities that exist and the ad, uh, kind of advantaged students and disadvantaged students, the gap's just going to get wider during school closures because some of the more advantaged students may have access to whether it's technology or whether it's um, more kind of resources around the home and a um, more kind of relaxed home environment or whatever it may be. Um, is, is this a fear as well of, of, of early year students? And is it, is it even more of a fear? Could, do these inequalities, if they exist at a young age, do they, are they hard to close later on, if, if that makes sense? Oh, I, I mean, we could talk about this for such a long time. I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of... Um... I kind of don't want to go there without having adequately thought about. It. I mean, yes, sure. of course they exist, and and of course they're huge. And and I do. I mean, you you just got to listen to the uh, to the figures on domestic violence and 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 violence in the home, and the business that I said at the beginning about people that are cooped up. You know, yes. awful. Um. So yeah, I think that's a massive a massive, and that's partly why I'm 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 kind of saying. Um, just relax, you know, ease off a bit and make it so that it is something when we come back to school where those children are able to re-establish those personal, social, emotional, psychological sort of um, securities that they're going to need. Some of those children are going to need a lot of support when they come back to school. Some of those families are going to need a massive amount of support when they come back to school. It's a really, really important point, Helen. Um, and, and finally, then, just um, any advice for, for parents? And again, you've touched upon this um, as we've spoke, but I wonder just to kind of bring it together. If, you, if you've, we've got parents listening to this who have got kids under the age of, of seven and they're tearing their hair out like I am thinking, how are we supposed to be keeping them entertained, um, educated, stimulated and so on? What, what would be your advice there? I mean, I think if you've got 
if you've got uh, mixed, if you've got more than one child, don't worry about thinking, well, I've got to do something different with the four-year-old, something different with the eight-year-old, or something different. Find something that that you all like, you know, Lego, (laughs) jigsaws, a board game. You know, do something all together. I think that you know those things. That, that, that those things would be a good piece of advice. I mean, go with the child a bit. You know, what does your child really like doing? And, and if, you know, and read to them, read to them, read to them, read to them, read to them. Loads, of, you know, books, books, loads of books. Just enjoy picture books together, any books. My child, one of my children used to like cookery books, for goodness sake. He's like looking at cookery books. You know, just, uh, so I think it's, it's, you've got to sort of, it's being kind, isn't it, to each other? Not putting yourself through it too much, not worrying too much about it. This is this is this is such a hard time for all of for all of us, and for some people, really, really hard. And and some bits of it are really nice to have the time to have that bit of time. Maybe enjoy those times. Don't feel guilty about it if you just sat there on your you know with your duvet and your and your book for a really long time, both sucking your thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's like you can see into our home there, Helen. That's, that's, that's <laughs> fantastic. Well, that is super useful advice, as as I know it would be. And and now, kind of a bit of a bonus uh, bonus feature for, for, for listeners here, because um, regular listeners to the podcast will know that recently I interviewed uh, Carl Hendrick and Paul Kirshner about their about their book. And uh, during that interview, I asked them, um, I asked a question, kind of on behalf of on behalf of um, yourself, Helen, that we'd we'd had a discussion of over Twitter. And I know it's something that um, uh, has kind of come up in the past, and it was about in particular. Um, the paper that Kirshner wrote with colleagues about minimal guidance uh, during instruction and why he doesn't believe it's effective. And the question I posed to him was um, about the uh, his quote, learning is a change in long term memory and, and an issue that I know you have and many people have with that um, as, as a concept. And I know from our conversation that you weren't particularly um, impressed with with his his response to that. So this is your opportunity now, Helen. Um, and I may interrupt uh, annoying places, but I'll try not to. Just just if I need a kind of bit of clarity. But do you want to just take us through um, your your kind of thoughts on that on that interview and on that response in particular? Uh, yeah, I mean there are there are two there were two. I'd like to make two main points about it. Really, I mean uh, um, the first one is about. Um, is is um, Kirshner's response to my question, which was, I think, um, ooh, I've got it written down here somewhere. Um, yes. Uh, how do we know that information has moved from short term into long term memory was my question. So I wanted to, to spend a couple of minutes on that. And then the, the, the second point I wanted to talk about was the was the statement that all learners, learners of all ages have a similar cognitive, I think the word he used was architecture. So, and I think they're probably related. So, um, I mean, my question, um, I I was a bit bemused actually that that Kirshner didn't take the opportunity of of saying, oh wow, that's that's an interesting question, and and then actually convince me (laughs) of the answer of it. I mean, I I think that the point is that um, theories of learning are not theories of teaching, okay? And um, we have to we have to take those theories of learning and work out how we're going to apply those within our own context as teachers. <clears throat> we have to ask questions about them. And in fact, you talk about at the end of your all of those interviews your takeaways. That's what that is. That's us 
looking at the theory of, of, of learning and wondering how that applies to my teaching. And you say how useful and you make you make it very clear how useful that definition learning is a change in long term memory has been for you. Yes. And, and I will. You know, that that has been that was helpful listening to that. So I, I prefer the definition that uh, learning is a change in the way of seeing things, which is Ferenc Martin's definition. And that's because I don't think learning is passive. It's not a bucket to be filled up that is empty when we start and fuller when we finished. And you allude to that, Craig, when you talk about, well, you don't allude to it, you say very clearly, you talk very clearly about it's not so much what I put in to the learner, it's what they take out of it. Yes. Kirshner himself talks about children and Hendrik talk about children having to do things with the things that they're that they're that you're we're presenting them with the with the knowledge that they're giving them or the tasks that they're giving them. They have to do something with that. They spend quite a lot of time at the end of the interview talking about that with you. And yet they are critical of um of, of, of social constructivism, which is all that is. That is constructivism. Learners have to construct their understanding from the teaching that we give them and the knowledge that we give them. That's what that is. You know, they have to make something of it. So I found that I found that an interesting sort of contradiction. Um, I mean, I think talking about their book, Kirshner says, uh, what does it actually mean to me as a teacher? What are my takeaways? Well, that was what my question was about. My question was about, you know, if how do I know as a teacher that information has moved from short to long term memory? How do I know that? Not is there a long term memory or is there a short? How do I know it's moved there? And I don't think that was answered. And I I I I. I mean, I think there are ways. I think there are ways of knowing that we know things, but it's 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 far more nuanced than that. And um, for example, I knew quite a lot when I sat my degree in sociology, and I couldn't tell you <laughs> most of that now. So where is that? Is that in my long-term memory buried? Uh, I can't get it back out of my long-term memory without going away and doing some work and some reading. So where is that? Yeah, it's interesting. Just just on uh, again, and uh, I, I I I always, as you say, at the end of um, at the end of interviews, I try and I try and do my takeaway. And just for the benefit of, of listeners who haven't listened to, to that that aspect of it, I spoke about that my kind of takeaway from that that idea that learning is a change in long term memories to remind me as a teacher that just because the kids seem to know something in the moment doesn't mean they're going to know it next week, next month, next year, and so on. And it's kind of a reminder to me that learning happens over time and we only know whether students have truly learned something whatever the definition is if they can do whatever it is or see see whatever they saw at that moment if they can see it over different points in the future if that makes sense and but it's funny you should say that about your uh, sociology i was this is a bit too much information for listeners but i was thinking about this in the shower um a couple of days after the interview i was thinking about um my degree and how i i did economics how i used to know loads of things about game theory and all this kind of stuff and how i couldn't tell you a flipping thing about it now and i, I was trying to 
trying to reconcile that with with the notion of, of short term memory and long term yeah. memory. My, my takeaways, Helen, and again, you'll you'll know more you'll know more about this than I will. But from from my reading of Bjork's work, it's that it's in long term memory, whatever we call long term memory to be. But it's this notion of this retrieval strength and storage strength, so that we haven't accessed those memories for so long. They've got such a low retrieval strength. But then, if you go and study it again, you would learn it much quicker second time round than you did first yeah. time round because it is in there somewhere if, if that makes sense that's yeah. my takeaway anyway yes yeah i think so but i think that and it's bad and badly in hitch that's a yes i mean um i think paul uh, refers to them but they they say in they say the picture of long-term short-term memory is far too simple that that is their words um mm. they talk about the fact that, that that what they've what they avoided in a lot of their studying was was looking at the central executive which drives the whole of our cognitive system and 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 it's the most important part of our working memory. It decides what we're going to attend to. It's yes. about attention. I mean, if we, it's, and he says himself, it's very, very complicated. And they've got central acceptance in the middle of everything now. So I think it's a much more nuanced picture than, 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 than as you have, have you just said there. It's much more nuanced. And, I, and so um, that's why I'm trying to sell you on my definition, Craig, which is learning is a change in the way I see things. If I have learned something, it alters the way I look at something else. It changes it. And that's and, and then you you quite rightly could ask me the question, how do I know I've changed the way I've seen things? Well, actually, I can tell that from children. If I'm working with them on some maths, I can tell when their learning has changed the way they've looked at something else, because a lot of those those ideas are connected. So if I'm working on on place value, I can see how some work that I might have done with, with hundreds, tens and ones might have affected how they look at decimals or or decimals affect how they look at tens. Well, if I'm looking at multiplication and we and they think multiplication always makes a number bigger and we start multiplying some some numbers smaller than one, we 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 we, we can, I can see how it affects the way they see things. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Again, I, I always learn something and I always um, am left kind of scratching my head when I speak to you, Helen, because, uh, again, you, it, you always make me think dead hard. Um, let, let me just pose this before. I, I know you've I know you've got a second point that, that you want to make, but let me just pose this to you. Um, so I, I taught for 12 years without knowing anything about working memory and long term memory. Right. And then I started reading stuff on cognitive science and, and psychology and so on and so forth. And I, I learned about these distinctions and in particular cognitive load theory and so on and and i think they really kind of have improved me as a teacher because of my awareness of or my interpretation of the concept of working memory and of the concept of long-term memory and in particular with working memory the being careful not to overload working memory in the term in terms of kind of the way i used to present things on the board or the way i would talk whilst the kids were reading things or redundant information all this stuff that made it a lot harder for my students to process and think about the thing that was actually going to be really useful for them um, learning that particular concept and then the notion of long-term memory as i spoke about just then that just because kids can do something in one moment doesn't mean that they'll be able to do it next day next week next month next year for me they're super useful and do you think and again this isn't a leading question in any way do you th are, th are they useful distinctions at all do you think Helen? yes Pink? yes Who no I, i'm not yes they are and and i think that i think probably the difference is when i when i train to be an early years teacher you have to take into those account those things you have to take into account those things. You can't just sort of steam in there 
and tell them things. Yes. Uh, so I think maybe the training is different from that point of view. And um, I mean, I thought also it struck me. Um, there's a there's a lovely quote by Gatenio where he says he said in, I heard him speak in 1988 and he said um, people tell me I teach the students this way and they're not learning. And I say, stop teaching them that way. <laughs> so, so it's that business of, you know, that business where I keep on telling them, but um, they're not, they're still not getting it. Well, then, yeah. we, then we have to go another way around. Don't, we? don't, just, don't just say it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have to find another way of doing it. And I think that working with young uh, or children that find it anything difficult. See, I find that I'm fasc- I love working with children that find things difficult. Uh, I just find it fascinating to find the hook that's going to get into that piece of understanding. And I, and um, so I don't know, maybe we're off the, off the, um, <laughs> off the point a bit there, but no, I, I think in answer to a question, no, I think it is useful, but I think it can be very over, over, over simplified. And uh, Camilla Gilmore, I mean, she's a cognitive scientist and she says it is important to be aware of what cognitive, of what um, uh, cognitive science doesn't tell us as well as does science. So there yes. is cognitive science that conflicts, and um, um, for good reason. I mean, like the, you know, the, 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 the two that, that Bagley and Hitch. You know, they're, they're, if you, there's a video online actually, uh, which where he's saying, you know, we, we didn't deal with this because it was too difficult. Yes. To um, so, and I think that the thing is, if we just stick with that very simple definition, um, we're looking at highlighting the product and not the process, the performance of that child, rather than the process of the learning. It's much harder. It's much easier just to look at the product and they answer those questions. Um, but it, that, sorry, I was just going to repeat myself. Carry on. <laughs> no, I'm saying no. It's fa- fa- fascinating, Helen. And your related point was with, and again, is with the cognitive architecture. Yeah. And this was this yeah. was a question I asked. I asked um, Paul Kirshner because. And this was, I had you in mind as well. Um, again, I've, I've no experience and I don't claim any expertise in the slightest of at primary school, let alone God Almighty, as, as you know, early years. But my sense has always been that, that perhaps there is some difference in, in the cognitive architecture and maybe, and I'm sure I've heard Sweller, Sweller, John Sweller talk about this, that some of the principles of cognitive load theory don't lend themselves or don't apply, I should say, to particularly young students. And when I asked Kirshner, um, his response was that it actually, no, it's all down to the knowledge. It's nothing to do with it with age at all. Um, what, what, what's what's your take, Helen? Well, I, I don't know what age he's talking about because late, earlier in that, when he answers that question, I think he then talks about eight-year-olds. So I'm wondering yes. if we're actually discussing the same age of child. But um, so that's that, so, and I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Um, but to say that the architecture of, of, of young children's and older children's brains is basically the same, I think is is I don't think that's. Quite Quite right. I mean, I think that that, that the um, even a baby's brain is very, very complex. Right. There's something like 10,000 nerve cells in a piece of brain the size of a grain of rice. Each nerve cell can wow. make between one to 10,000 connections with other nerve cells. So you've got all this business of crisscrossing wires that have to make connections. Now, what I, I, I'm no I'm no neuro, neuroscientist, but as far and I'm sure somebody's going to put me right on this. But as far, my simple way of understanding this is that those connections are already there to fire, but they aren't fired because we haven't had the experiences to build those connections up. And the more times you run, if you think of a telephone wire making a connection between two tell you know one caller and another the more time you pick up that connection the stronger that is so some connections are lost 
because they don't need them. And they have, some are built up and become stronger. And that happens a lot. And the priest, that has to happen. to the, So the brain basically, I think, has it all there. But it has to be all of those connections have to be fired up and, and strengthened. And the preschool years represent a time of expansive psychological growth. And many of those um, initial abilities will continue to be refined into, uh, you know, teenagers, early adults. Um, I, I, you know, that's so I think it's 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 not it's. Um, it's not as simple as saying it's the same implies. I don't. Yeah, it's, yeah it, again, that, that, that has always been my take. But as I say, you, you know far more about this than me. I wonder, oh, okay. um, I wonder whether, and again, I don't know, this, this is just off the top of my head now, so this could be absolute load of nonsense, what I'm about to say here. But just to kind of tie those two things together, I wonder if the, this notion of, of making teachers aware of the distinction between working memory and long-term memory and simplifying it into they are different things and also saying to teachers that essentially there are differences but essentially the cognitive architecture of, of children of all ages is the same i wonder if that simplification whilst being aware that it's not entirely accurate is more useful than teachers not being aware of it in the sense that again you could go through years of teaching like i did without ever thinking about attention retention retrieval all this kind of thing and also we go back to this notion of whether learning styles and all this all students learn differently so we've got to completely adjust everything we do in the classroom to to account for you know uh, Nisa learns it this way Tom learns differently this way and so on and so forth I wonder if if that's that's the benefit of simplifying it that at least teaching and learning improves even though it's not perfect as opposed to if we if we didn't simplify it and and we weren't aware of those distinctions I don't know if that makes any sense at all but I, that that's kind of my take that it's actually quite useful to simplify it if not perfect I, I think there are lots of dangers with simplifying it without having done the thinking about it. All of us are, 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 have the, are able to think about things. You've done a lot of thinking about this. So, and I think that just to say, just to say to somebody, well, it's this and this, and we have to mm -hmm. move this from this into this, is very dangerous. And that is exactly what happened with the whole learning styles thing. Exactly that. It was simplified to the point of ridiculousness. And, yes. And that is the danger of it. And I think that as soon as people won't have it question what, whatever they're putting forward, whatever theory, and that's all it is, it being put forward. As soon as that can't be questioned, then I'm on high alert. I just don't think that's that's not that's not comfortable with me. It doesn't sit well. We are we should all be questioning things, all of us. Um, and I, it's it, it's not it's not. I mean, I mean, Kirshner says himself, you know, research can't tell us what we must do, but what we can do. And he likes teachers to be evidence informed. Well, we can only do be that if we ask questions of things and look and analyze them in terms of our experience and talk to other people about them. And then, yeah, I think there comes a point where it is a bit like shorthand for me. You know, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm, I can I've got, you know, that business of saying short term, long term memory has got a lot of stuff behind it to help me understand those two words. But to just put it out there, it's like this, it's like as you move this, the idea is you move this into this and that's it and then you test them every third day or then you test them again six weeks later and then we know they've got it. That that speaks to me of, of, of treating education as just transmitting knowledge 
and knowledge that somebody, you know, knowledge from an empty into a, into an empty vessel. And that's not to me what education is. It's not what learning is. Fantastic. Well, I tell you what, that is a great quote to end on there. That was, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it is always a pleasure uh, speaking to you, and I hope this won't be your last appearance on the show. I'm sure as Isaac gets older, I'll be needing you more and more and more. So, uh, Helen Williams, thank you so much for your thank time you today. Thank you. Thank you very much.